sick uh, in a few weeks. It would be good to have some, some folks that are not part of the church to come be part of our family for that day. So I encourage you to bring a guest with you uh, for the church picnic on, on May 20th. I'm going to start by uh, reading the passage today. It's from 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to be looking at verses 34 through 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 through 58. And I know what you're thinking. I know Alice is not preaching all those verses. He never get through those verses, but I am. I'm preaching all of them today. No, it's not going to be two sermons. It's one sermon. Here's God's word. For someone would ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps a wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one of one kind. The glory of the earthly is another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For star differs from the star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there will also be a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that came first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come the path of saying it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is God's holy word. Please pray with me. Father, there is a lot that we don't understand about your word. There's still more insight that we can gain from it. No matter how long we've been Christians, we have not fully comprehended this text. And we cannot on this side of glory. 
And so, Lord, we, we pray and we cry out to you and ask that your spirit will come and, and draw us into worship. We have been worshiping. So, Lord, as we come and now prepare to hear your word, soften our hearts. Give us teachable spirits. Encourage us, convict us, rebuke us. Whatever we need today, you give us what we need. You know where every person here needs to hear. You know them. You know them better than they know themselves. So you give them the word they need to hear. Not a word from Alex, but a word from the Lord that can be spoken into their circumstance, the circumstance that they're currently dealing with. And they may be empowered and strengthened to to persevere and continue on in their journey. We don't just come to church because that's what we do as Southern folk. We come because we need it. We need it. So, Lord, give us what we need today. A word from you. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. In the 1968 Summer Olympics, African-American sprinters Tommy Smith and, and John Carlos won gold and bronze medals, respectively, in the 200-meter race. And after winning, they, they took their place on the podium for the award ceremony. And then they turned to face the American flag as the national anthem uh, was being played. Next, after they did that, both Smith and Carlos did something that became an iconic image of those 68 summer games. Both of them raised a black glove fist in the air, like this. They kept it raised until the anthem was finished. Now, for some people, they they thought that was a salute to black power. But according to Smith in in his autobiography, he said, no, it was a human rights salute. A human rights salute. One day, all Christians will make such a salute. A final salute. You see, when Christ returns, The trumpet will sound. It will be heard all over the earth. It will be heard. A heavenly anthem will be played. Saints shall be resurrected from the dead. Saints who are alive shall be changed. Saints will stand on a podium. And we all shall make a triumphant, victorious salute to Jesus. We shall raise what I call glorified fists in the air. Why? Because we ran the race and we won. We fought the good fight of the faith and we won. We shall raise glorified fists because Jesus has come to take us home. Faith turned into sight. Hope has become a reality. And we finally get to hear the words we cannot wait to hear. From Jesus' lips, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. This is what awaits. I mean, are, are you excited about that? Or is it just me? Or is it just me? I mean, I'm excited about that. To hear those words from Jesus, well done, my good and faithful servant. Every Christian longs to hear that, unless there's something more you'd rather live for. Unless you're really happy with your life here. If you love it here too much, you will never long for there. 
because you have it here. Well, we long for a place you already got. If you can have heaven on earth, why even long for it? This is what awaits all those who have faith in Christ. This is what awaits all the saints that, that have passed on to death. We will make this final triumphant salute to Jesus. We shall raise glorified fists. And guess what? You can do it now. At this moment, you can raise glorified fists. And guess what? We're going to do it. I want to see you raise your, glory, your fists in the air in victory. And why can you do that? Because you know your future is certain. Because you know your future is such certain. You just sung about it. Christ commands my destiny. And if that is true, then I can live life like this no matter what I go through. All day, every day, I can live life like this because Jesus commands my destiny, not anyone else. Not anything else. Not circumstances. Not death. Not sickness. Not anyone but him. And if we believe that, we can live that way. But do you live that way? The resurrection is going to happen. Your resurrection is going to happen. It's guaranteed. It's a promise. The physical and bodily resurrection of Christ guarantees the physical and bodily resurrection of all his people. And who are his people? It's not those who just know things about Jesus. It's not those who can just sing good hymns about Jesus. It's not those who simply go to church. It's not those who are simply good people. It's people who have faith in him, who surrender to him, who pray to him, who rest in him, depend on him, trust in him, confesses him, live for him. These people will be resurrected from the dead. The Apostle Paul has been laboring hard teaching this to the Corinthians in this chapter, teaching them the truthfulness of the resurrection from the dead. He's been doing cross-cultural ministry to these Greek Christians because it's hard for them to understand it. Because for Greeks, they don't believe in a bodily and physical resurrection. They don't believe in that. They don't believe dead people can be resurrected. It's folly to them. They believe in the immortality of the soul. The soul lives forever. The body stays in the grave to rot and to decay, to be lost forever. They were taught this since their youth. This is what they were taught in their culture. But now they have faith in Christ. And now that faith in Christ and the truth of Scripture is in conflict and facing off with what they have been taught culturally. And some of them are still having a hard time understanding it. Some are still confused. Some still don't get it. Some are still skeptical. And Paul rightly assumes this. He rightly assumes that some will still have doubts. He says, but someone will ask. But someone will ask. Even though I've given you all the details about the resurrection, even though I've just explained it to you, some of you still are going to ask skeptical questions. Some of you are still going to ask condescending questions. How are the dead, how are the dead raised, Paul? With what kind of body do they come, Paul? But give us more information, Paul. These are insincere questions. And no one likes insincere questions. No one likes condescending questions. Is that the outfit you're going to wear today? <laughs> now, is that a sincere question or is that a condescending question? 
What kind of job are you going to get with that degree? Is that, a, is that a question from a warm place? No, it is not. We don't like those type of questions. And Paul doesn't either. He gets beside himself in this letter. He gets into all his feelings. He says, you foolish person. You foolish person. You're not thinking right. You're, you're not listening. You're not asking the right questions. You're not understanding. You're not believing. You're blind. You're living by sight, not faith. You're living by sight, not faith. You see, they, they're questioning the resurrection because they can't logically understand how it can be true. It doesn't fit into their logical mind. They don't understand how that could be true. Because you can't put, you can't run the resurrection to the scientific method and expect it to come out the way you think it's going to come out. It doesn't work that way. They're skeptical because they can't logically understand the process of the resurrection. They can't understand how a decomposed body could be resurrected to new life. They can't fully comprehend it. And they never will because it's supernatural. The resurrection of the dead is supernatural. Christianity is supernatural. And you have to keep this in mind. The truths of our faith doesn't require you to have perfect understanding. It requires you to have faith in Jesus Christ alone. If it required perfect understanding, I wouldn't be here. Neither would you. It requires faith. Faith in him. Do you have it? What, what truth do you question? What are you skeptical about when it comes to the faith? Each of us, myself included, we, we are all skeptics of views and opinions that don't come from our tribe, our camp, our culture. But we never question our own views. We're never skeptical of our own ideas because me, I naively believe everything I believe is right. My views are always right. But we doubt the views of others. We question the insights of people over there. Sometimes it's legitimate, and other times we're just blinded by our own view, like our Greek brothers and sisters here who are blinded by their cultural understanding of death, the cultural understanding of the resurrection. And it often takes a brother and sister outside of our culture to help us see things in Scripture we otherwise wouldn't see. Cross-culture ministry is important. And that's what Paul is doing. He's a Hebrew. He's not a Greek. And he's doing cross-culture ministry to help these brothers and sisters understand something in the Bible that they cannot see. He illustrates the truth that there will be a bodily resurrection for all believers, an actual body. But do you believe it? Do you really believe that? When you think about it, as a Christian, we're first world Christian, we're sophisticated. Do you really believe that, that one day you're going to have a resurrected body? Everything about you will be new. And the body you're going to receive is different from the one that you currently have. So when you look in the mirror this afternoon, just know that body ain't going to heaven. It will, not, it will not set foot in heaven, the body that you currently have. Ron finally is a fashion designer by trade and a gangster gardener by calling. That's what he calls himself, a gangster gardener. 
And I know that's funny, but his story is beautiful. You see, Ron grew up in South Central L.A. He grew up having to drive 45 minutes to get fresh fruit and vegetables. 45 minutes. They didn't have any place in his neighborhood where he could go get a fresh tomato. So he saw this as a problem that he was going to be a part of fixing. So back in 2010, he took his first steps into community gardening. Now, he didn't have a custom um, raised bed, so he planted his vegetables in the curbside median in front of his house. And so in an interview with Reader's Digest, he says, I planted a seed in South Central, and the next thing you knew, I'm in Qatar. I'm in Qatar. Something happened to those seeds Ron planted back in 2010. Something has happened to the seeds that I'm sure he's currently planting in L.A. And something has happened to the seeds that you sowed if you have a, um, a garden in the back of your yard. Seeds that are sown die. They disintegrate. They become dormant. They go through a process called germination. A process of something coming into existence. Something new. It is the development of a plant from a seed. Life coming out of death. The life of the plant comes forth out of death of the seed. And you need to think about that. Because what is sown is different from what rises up later. And the same is true with the resurrection of the dead. And guess what? The sower isn't in control of this process. You don't control what happens to the seed once it's in the ground. Now, you water the seed. You may fertilize the seed, but you don't give the seed the plant body. That's above your play grade, outside your power. You can be the best guard. You can have a green thumb, but you will not give that seed the body. You don't determine the body. That is God. All day, every day. A sunflower comes from a sunflower seed, not a watermelon seed. Now, you can stick a watermelon seed before that sunflower plant and seed, but I'm telling you, a sunflower is going to come up out of it, not a watermelon. You can pray over it. You can lay your hands on that ground. It's still going to be a sunflower seed. It's not going to be a watermelon seed. It's still going to be a sunflower seed. Bell peppers don't come from cucumbers. They come from bell pepper seeds. According to its kind. The same is true with the resurrection of the dead. When you die, and all of us will at some point, your dead body will be sown in the grave. It will decay. It will return to dust. It will disintegrate. But for the believer, the body that will be raised up on the last day will be different from the one that was sown in the grave. Something new will rise up out of death. And God is in control of that process, not me and not you. And this is what Paul is, is trying to illustrate and tell these Corinthians. He says in verse 35b, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps a wheat or some other grain. But God gives it the body as he has chosen, and each kind of seed its own body. And he's talking more than just about planting fruits and vegetables. He's talking about the resurrection from the dead. When you look at God's creation, what do you see? 
What does God's creation show you about himself? Creation is God's creative, artistic expression. Kids, did you know God can draw and paint? Did you know that? Did you know that God is an artist? And all of creation is a painting that he has painted. All of creation is his portrait. Creation is God's Mona Lisa. Creation is God's Mona Lisa. And his portrait is not one of uniformity. We don't all look the same. We don't have the same function. But all of us are equally beautiful. The portrait he has painted displays the beauty of divine diversity. That's what it shows us. There are similarities in God's creation, but there are also differences. There is diversity. And diversity is not a social or political term. Diversity was part of God's creation from the beginning. If you read Genesis 1 and 2 and you don't see diversity, I don't know what you're reading. There is diversity there. Beautiful diversity. God created all the animated beings. Humans, animals, the birds, the fish. Now all of us the same. Do we all look the same? No, Pastor, we don't all look the same. Thank you, congregation. (laughs) There are similarities because we're all animated beings. But there's differences. Even amongst God's image bearers, there are differences. The same is true for his celestial and terrestrial creations. What do you mean by that, God, Alex? God created the sun and created the moon. He created the stars. He created the planets. He created the whole universe. He created everything that exists in the sky. That's what he's done. He created the mountains, the oceans, the forests, all the earthly bodies. And all of them, all of these earthly bodies and their heavenly bodies, they all have a certain kind of splendor about them and glory about them. One that fits its kind. Verse 39. Not all flesh is the same. But there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly one is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There's one glory for the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For the star differs from the star in glory. And again, the same is true for the resurrection of the dead. There are similarities and there are differences between your current body and your future resurrected body. Both are from God. Both have a certain splendor and honor about them, but the bodies are different and their splendor is different. Their honor is different. My wife and I are heading into our last week of our second round of Whole30. Yes, (laughs) amen. 60 days of Whole30. It's been good for us. It's been good for us. The program is helping us eliminate certain food groups like sugar. And for, my, for me, potato chips. I just can't have one uh, to have a whole bag. It's helping us have a better relationship with food. A better relationship with food. It's helping us take better care of our bodies to be good stewards of them. Because our bodies are not our own. Your body belongs to God. It's meant for him. 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you. The body you currently have. Romans 12 one says, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So you are not your own. Every Christian has been bought with a price. That is Christ's blood. And you are to glorify God 
in your body. And so the current body that you have does have a certain honor about it. So you have to be a good steward of it. Watch over it. Exercise it. And as you do that, please bear in mind that your current body would never be fit for heaven. Take those words to heart. Take them deeply in. Your current body would never be fit for heaven. I don't care how many green smoothies you drink. I don't care how many rounds of Whole30 you do. I don't care how much you walk or run. You can work out seven days a week. Your body still won't be fit for heaven. You can go vegan. You can go paleo. You can go vegetarian. Your body still won't be healthy for heaven. No amounts of shea butter, coconut oil, lotion, or plastic surgery is going to shame that. You still won't be fit for the kingdom of heaven. You see, your current body is a natural body. A natural body, just like the body of the first Adam. He was made of dust, and he became a living being when God breathed into him the breath of life. You bear the image of the first Adam, the man of dust. So as was the man of dust, so also are those who are dust. You are a dust. That current body is made of dust. The first Adam also disobeyed God, sinned against God, disobeyed him. And in his disobedience, all people became sinners, and you became a sinner. So now your natural body is forever unfit for heaven. It would never step one foot into the kingdom. Verse 50 says, flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So you need something else. You need CrossFit. And not the kind of CrossFit you're thinking the crossfit you need only happens when you're redeemed. The crossfit you need only happens when you're redeemed by Jesus, who is the second Adam, who is a life-given spirit. And you have to receive him and save in faith. Depend on him, rest in him, trust in him, surrender to him. Jesus is the one who crossfits you for heaven. And it means if you ain't in Jesus, then you ain't crossfitted. And you ain't getting in. You're going to be on the outside looking in. Has Jesus crossfitted you yet? Has he crossfitted you yet? If your answer is no, then you need to get crossfitted today. At this moment, confess your need of him. Repent of your sins. Surrender to him as your Lord and Savior. For he alone is the only one that can do this. But do you believe it? But do you believe it? Every person who has saving faith in Jesus inherits a body that's different from the body that you inherited from the first Adam. From the first Adam, you inherit a natural body, a, a body made of dust, a body that's fit for earth but not from heaven, a body that will decay, a body that will die, a body that will rot one day. But from Christ, the second Adam, he's able to give you a body that's perfectly fit for the kingdom of God. You shall inherit a spiritual body. A resurrected body. A new body. Verse 47. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as the man in heaven, so are all those who are of heaven. Just as we are born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. On this side, your natural... 
you have a natural body, but on the flip side, you will have a spiritual one. Does that excite you? I mean, honestly, does it motivate you? Does it move your affections? Does it cause you to want to raise your fists? Or you just want me to hurry up so you can go eat lunch? Does this stuff move you? Is it powerful to you? Your natural body will one day be sown in the grave, but your spiritual body shall one day be resurrected. Because what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in death. It is raised to new life. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. What is sown is mortal. What is raised is immortal. And when Jesus returns, we're not, all of us won't be asleep, but we all shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And that last trumpet will sound. It will sound. And when it sounds, the dead shall be raised and perishable. That shall be raised in mortal change. That shall raise in with a triumphant salute to Jesus. That shall raise these glorified fists high in the sky. And you know what? They're going to sing this song. Oh, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, victory has a name and his name is Jesus. Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the Good Shepherd, the Bread of Life, Jehovah Jower, Jehovah Elohim, the Resurrection and the Life, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Sustainer, the Savior, Jesus, Friend of Sinners. You can claim this, you can name this, you can raise this, you can rock this, but will you? Does your future blessing that's awaiting you make any difference in how you live in this present life. You know how it's going to end. And does that even impact the way you live now? You means that we, what does that mean, Pastor? You know the future is what it means. We win in the end. You win in the end. And does that in, impact the way you parent? Does it impact the way you deal with your neighbors? Does it impact the people you disagree with? Does it change you in any sort of way? Or are we, as A.W. Tozer says, we claim Christ is real, but we live as if he's not. And for a lot of us, we live as if he's not. The future blessing for all Christians is on lock, stored away in heaven. The devil can't snatch it away from you. Your current sin can't snatch it away from you. Persecution can't snatch it away from you. You, it's on lock. You, you're going to have it. It's guaranteed. Your future is certain. And so that means you can live this life with a triumphant salute to Jesus, no matter what you go through. Because your future is guaranteed. This stuff changes you if you really believe it. Changes everything about the way you function in this world if you really believe that. You can raise this fist in the valley. You can raise it on the mountaintop. You can raise it in pain. You can raise it in joy. You can raise it in bad circumstances. You can raise it in good circumstances. You can raise it when you have a job. You can raise it when you don't have a job. You can raise it in sickness. You can raise it in health. You can raise it when you have plenty. You can raise it when you have need. Yes, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. 
Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not destroyed. Struck down but not destroyed. Why? Because of who Jesus is. If he conquered death, if he conquered sin, can he not fix what you're currently going through? The problem is we have other saviors. We have other gods that we run to and we bow down to. None of the other things you worship died for your sins. None of the other people you worship died for your sins. There's only one being that has that died for his enemies, and that is Jesus. Please know what you've been redeemed from. If, we, if you lived during Jesus' time, you would have been the one saying crucify him. But we think we wouldn't do that because we're self-righteous. You would have said it. You would have been Peter. Oh, hey, I, I don't know him. I ain't with him. Oh, no. He'd been with him for three years. No, I don't know that, brother. I ain't with him. That would have been you. That's who he died for. Those people. Because you are those people. Don't let status, material possessions, let you forget that you were an enemy of God at one point until Christ came and saved you. When that stuff, when you see it that way, it gives you a great appreciation for grace. Gives you a great appreciation for what all he has done for you. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, as you struggle and suffer through life, and you will struggle and suffer through life. All kids, kids, you will struggle and suffer through life. You will. There will be hard times. There will be good times. It's both ends. But be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Why? Because the victory is already yours. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that the victory is already ours. Now, it's hard to see it, hard to live it, because this life sometimes stinks, because it's hard. We don't always get our way. Things are difficult. Things are hard at times. So, Lord, you are always with us. You are always on our side. And I pray for each and every one that is here, adults and kids and youth, that you would minister to them in the places where they truly live. Help our unbelief. Because we all struggle with unbelief. We live by faith and not sight most of the time. Help us to know that you're greater than our circumstances. You're greater than our problems. And that you are able, Lord, and you are with us. And so, Lord, I thank you that you're, you are Emmanuel. I thank you for the resurrection. And I pray as we move forth this week, you would give us what we need to live and be the people of God. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please stand as we close our service.